Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Have you ever made a moral judgment about something? Said this is wrong? What if we wrote those down and made the law of you and judged your life against it? How would you fare? Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Exodus, Provision in the Wilderness, with the first part of this sermon entitled The Lord, Our Loving Lawgiver, which covers Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, and other texts. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, as I thought about where, where do we want to uh, finish up these last couple of weeks here in Exodus before we table it and come back to it again next fall. We're doing part one, part two, part three, and uh, we're doing this in the fall. We're doing Acts in the spring, and we've been doing part one, part two, part three of that, if you've been with us. With Exodus, we're about to, we're, we're about to go into probably one of the most important chapters in all the Bible, if you can say that. Obviously, all of the Bible is God's word, but Exodus chapter 20 is pretty significant. It's when God gives the law. It's when God gives the Ten Commandments. And the original plan, as I was thinking through it, was, okay, we'll spend this week doing an overview of the first uh, table of the law, so to speak, the, the laws that God gives in the Ten Commandments that show us what it looks like to worship and honor and relate to him. And then the last week of the series before Dr. Duncan comes, we'll sit on the the second table of the law of what it looks like to relate to others. And as I thought about that more, I thought, you know, I I think what I want to do is I want to take, I want to come off of what Caleb led us in last week, where he brought up some interesting and much needed uh, truths about the law and how we relate to it. And I want to sit in that one more week. Because before we even move into the law of God, we have to make sure, as best as we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, that our hearts are in the right place to receive the law. That the approach to the law is healthy. And it's not just one where we go, oh, okay, Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, long time ago, doesn't apply now. That type of mindset or heart set. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to sit in a place in the first couple of verses of Exodus 20 that I think and hope will lead us into a place, into a posture to where next, next week when we do a, a flyover of the Ten Commandments and then next fall when we do a deep dive into the Ten Commandments, hopefully we'll be in a posture at a heart level that we're ready, much more than we would have been, to receive the law with gladness. So let me pray for us that God would do that and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for the incredible joy and privilege it is to open, open your word. And Father, we pray that Holy Spirit, you would, and we don't ask this lightly, we mean it, oh God, would you do what only you can do in this time here? Would you awaken dead hearts? Would you soften hard hearts? Would you open deaf ears and and blind eyes, Lord, would to give us eyes of faith, ears that receive your word with eagerness, hearts that are receptive to your word with gladness. And would you do it all for your glory, we ask in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So there are, there are things that just, just go together. 
When we consider them, when we think about them, when we talk about them, we just say, you know what, those, those need to go together. They always have, and they don't need to be separated. It can be silly things, everyday things, things like food. You know, if you're gonna make a sandwich that has jelly, you better be putting peanut butter with that. Let's go together, right? Maybe your thing is honey. I don't know many people that eat honey sandwiches. They eat peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Maybe it's salt and pepper, right? I learned early on in life, good table manners. It was taught well by my mom and dad. If someone asks for the salt at the table, what do you do? You pass the salt and the pepper. Some of you are going, oh. I didn't know that. I just gave you what you asked for. No, you pass them together. Why? Because salt and pepper go together, right? Mayonnaise and tuna fish, am I right? Throw a little, there's three on that one. You, you throw a little pickle relish in there. Oh, who's with me? Yeah, some of you are grossed out. Some of you are, amen, amen. There's all kinds of things that go together, right? The Braves and winning the NL East goes together, right? The Braves and not winning the World Series goes together. It just fits, except for that one year. Perimeter pastors, khakis and plaid shirts, just goes together, right? Somebody told me, somebody told me this morning, Jeff, you, I love your fall colors. You look like pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> it was one of those where you go, um, thanks, I think. I think, I, I think that's a thank you. There are things that go together. I love history. Only one man that I've ever known in history who wore an extraordinarily tall Ridiculous top hat made it cool. Abraham Lincoln, you see the top hat, you think Lincoln. Rachel and I just went last weekend and watched Hamilton. And you know, one of the things, as much as we enjoyed watching that production, and we'd watched it with our kids on Disney Plus even before then, and we loved that production, but as much as we love it, one of the things I'm thinking about is that, man, there's really nothing new under the sun. If there is politics, there is arguing. It's just, it's just what we do, they go together. You know, there's summer and hot summer days and swimming pools go together, right? Snow dustings in the winter and school cancellations in the South. They just go together. <laughs> but here's the thing. There are some things that God has given us in the way of his design that he has laid out for us in scripture that either recently or throughout the centuries, we have really struggled to keep together in the way that he designed it to be. We really struggle to connect the dots between one truth he gives us and another. And that he said, these go together. And in ways that we've seen be true from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, we, in our selfishness and self-righteousness and just resistance to God, we will determine and deem those things to not go together. And so here's what I want you to hear this morning. In God's design, there is an inextricable relationship between the law of God and the love of God. There is an inextricable relationship between the law of God and the love of God. They go together. Now, we struggle with this because the law of God feels to us, and we'll get into this more in a moment, but it feels to us like it's nothing but burden it's just heavy, it's duty, it's obligation. And so we struggle with it. We have a hard time connecting the dots between God's love 
and God's law. And so oftentimes what we'll end up doing is we'll end up uh, erring on one side or the other. Some of us are more bent towards being rule keepers. And so there's a part of us that in a twisted way loves the law because we naturally like rules. There's others of us that will bend more towards the love of God because we're more what you might call grace-oriented people. And so we say, well, I'm under grace now. And so the law doesn't really apply to me anymore. And this is a really dangerous place to be is because sometimes we can not marry the law of God with the love of God and sit rightfully under the love of God yet become dangerously inching towards what might be called or what we do call antinomianism, which is just a really fancy word for those who abuse God's grace who actually are content with sinful patterns and sinful realities in their lives because, hey, God loves me. And he'll forgive me. But then over here, we sit under the law of God and we don't really allow ourselves to really enter into the love of God. And so what do we become? We become legalists. Those who begin to treat this whole relationship with God from a legalistic standpoint, meaning there are things that I must do in order to earn his love. And both are unhealthy. Both are dangerous. And what we see in the scriptures from the very beginning, but right here in Exodus 20, begin to be pressed in in some really powerful ways is that the love of God and the law of God are married in a beautiful, in a beautiful fabric and pattern that stitches together in such a way that we actually begin to flourish as we love God and as we love his law. Now, Jesus talked a lot about this. He mentioned it a lot. I'll mention the first one I'll bring up to you is a little bit of an obscure uh, uh, part where he brought it up. He's, it's actually Matthew 24 and 25 where he's talking about the end times and what will happen when, when all things are coming to a head, uh, what, we might, what we call eschatology. And there'll, there'll be a time where I don't know when, but uh, Lord willing, we will certainly do a series on eschatology and we'll talk about when, what is it gonna look like? What are our misconceptions and misunderstandings and where, what is it going to look like when Jesus comes again? And what are the last days? And what are not the last days? So I'm just going to mention that just so you get excited. And then I don't really have a plan of when that'll be. So you'll just be mad for the short term. Um, but it's in that context that he says this, Matthew 24, verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus is connecting some dots for us. He's saying in, in, in when, where there's lawlessness, there's lack of love. And in these last days, in these last days, we will be seeing an increase, an increasing of lawlessness, which means there will also be this cold heartedness, lack of love present. And that's been true of mankind for quite some time, not just in these last days. One of my favorite authors, one that I've particularly enjoyed reading is, is I've uh, read different commentaries on Exodus. I've quoted him a lot already in this series, but a guy named Arthur W. Pink, he says this. He says, God's law is an expression of his love. It's a manifestation of his mercy and a provision of his grace. An expression of his love, a manifestation of his mercy, a provision of of his grace. And so the key question on the table for us this morning is do we believe that? Do we believe that God's law is those things? 
It's an expression of his love. Jesus, I said, spoke a lot about this, connecting these dots. Listen to what he said. Caleb mentioned this one last week. John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just a few verses later in verse 21, he reiterates it. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then again, just a couple of verses later, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The obedience to the law and the love of God are connected. The apostle John in his letter that we call 1 John, chapter five, verses two and three, he says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Again, key question on the table is, is that your experience? Is that true? Do you believe that? Is, is that? Could you say that? Could I say that? Could we say together, yes, the law of God, his commandments, they are not burdensome. Could we say with John, to love God is to obey him? Has, can we say, you know, I, I, Maybe we would say, yeah, I could say that, but do I live that? Is that true of me? Do I believe that with all of my heart? Is the fullest expression of love obedience to obey the commands of the Lord? Well, if we see God's love and we see God's law as two different things, then we're gonna really struggle with that because we're not connecting them the way that God has connected them. And we're only viewing the law separate from God's love, and in so doing, we see it as burdensome. Just things that hang over our head, things that he's told us to do, and ways to live that I just don't want to do. So how do we connect the dots in this? Or a better question, how does God connect the dots in this? And so if we go back to Exodus 20, there's a pattern that we've already seen in the book of Exodus that shows up again in Exodus 20. And here's the pattern. The pattern is that God, before he gives commands, almost always connects it back first and foremost to the finished work of his salvation. Where he reminds over 150 times, over 150 times in the first five books of the Bible, God says something to the effect of, remember how I rescued you from being slaves in Egypt. Remember how I delivered you from Pharaoh. Remember, remember, in other words, remember your salvation. Remember your salvation. Remember the ways in which I have saved you. And then he gives the law. And then he says, because I have saved you, therefore live like this. In other words, the law, the obedience to God's commandments flows out of salvation. It's not a means into salvation. We talked a little bit about this last week. Because I have saved you, therefore then this is how you live. But one of the things we may not connect the dots on is this. What God is doing here 
and Exodus 20 and all throughout his time in those first five books of the the Bible with the Israelites is he's helping them understand that the law is an expression of his love. So it's, 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 it's as if he's saying this. He's saying, because I loved you, I called you out as my own and I delivered you from the oppression of the Egyptians and I delivered you from slavery. And because I have done that, I want to show you and express to you even more my love for you by giving you my law. Because in my law, now you know. You know who I am, you know my heart, and you know how to relate to me. And not only do you know how to relate to me, you know how to relate to one another. And this is why Jesus, when uh, in the New Testament, affirmed that the summation of the law is to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is that a summation of? Well, it's really a summation of the Ten Commandments that we'll get into more next week. But just a couple of other things real quick before we jump into those first couple of verses of Exodus 20. I want you to see one more tie that Moses made between God's law and God's love. You know, we often say, uh, pay attention to the very last words that someone says before they die. Hopefully, we're sharing things throughout our lives that are going to have eternal benefit and, and power. But particularly, what is it that you say on your deathbed? Well, Moses, uh, he had something to say right before he passed. The last recorded words of Moses are recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 33. And what he said was a blessing to Israel, and it's quite long, but here's how it starts. He says this, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from 10,000s of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Now watch this. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps receiving direction from you when Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. You are my people. I have saved you. I have delivered you. And because I love you, I'm going to give you my law. Moses, in his dying moments, is connecting those two dots yet again. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And as an expression of his love, he's giving you his law. Now, in Exodus 20, here's the pattern. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There it is. Remember, I have saved you. And because I have saved you, here's the law. So we typically, if you're like me, we typically go, uh, we we scan over those first two verses and go straight to verse three. Okay, what is it? What is it that's required of me? How am I doing? Measuring ourselves up and not sitting in the anchor verse of the text. The anchor verse of chapter 20 is verse two. It's not even the law. It's that God is reminding us yet again, look what I've done for you. Look how I've saved you. Look how I've rescued you. And for the mind of the New Testament believer, that's us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you automatically quickly go, okay, this is a, this is a truth even more for me now because God hasn't just delivered me from the oppression of humans who have enslaved, but he's, in, he's delivered me from the evil one who enslaved me. 
He's delivered me from the serpent. He's crushed the head of the serpent like he said he would do. And he's delivered me once and for all from the dominion and from the power and the tyranny and the slavery of sin. And every time he speaks a word of law, so to speak, over me, he first and foremost says, look, remember what I've done for you. Remember the cross. Remember King Jesus. Remember the finished work of Christ. Remember that you are not under the obligation of the law in order to try to win my favor, but I have poured out my favor upon you because someone else did it in your place. I have brought you through the Red Sea of sin. I have divided the walls of sin in your life and I have delivered you into a dry ground that we call not the promised land of Canaan, but the promised gospel land that will be full one day upon his return. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is how we read verse two now. When he says to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the tyranny in the land of sin, crushed the head of the serpent and have brought you into my presence to dine with me forevermore. And so the law is good. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning is that the law is good. And the goodness of the law reveals some things to us. Three things, here they are. The goodness of the law first reveals to us the holy character of God. In the law, when we begin to to read the Ten Commandments and then from there on out as we work our way through that book that you love to read called Leviticus and the one right behind it called Numbers, (laughs) the ones that I'm sure you're doing quiet times in every morning, But as we look at the law, what do we see? Man, we see the holiness of God, the standard of God. And when we talk about holiness, we're not only talking about perfection, although that's true. God is perfect, sinless. But even the angels are sinless, so it's gotta be more than that. It's it's an otherness, it's uniqueness, it's a set-apartness, it's a majesty and awe that exists within God that does not exist in any other being in the entire universe. And in that reality, the law helps us begin to see who he is in his holy character. In the law, in the goodness of the law, we also see the authority of God, the supreme authority of God, that he is the one who is the lawmaker and the lawgiver. He is sovereign. He's the one who is in control. He's the one who says, who are you, the clay, to speak back to the potter? He's the one who says, I am God and you are not. He is the supreme authority. And in the law, we see that on display. We also see, thirdly, that God reveals to us through the law his good, his careful design. In other words, we begin to see that it's in the law of God that we uh, begin to ingest, if you will, oh, this is the design of how life is to flourish. Now, when we're talking about the moral law here, this this is how he created things to be. Now, along with that, as we see more of who God is through the law, we also simultaneously see who we are. And so we see the goodness of the law, but we also experience the condemnation of the law. And in the condemnation of the law, we see uh, that it reveals to us, yes, the holy character of God, 
but the unholy character of me, of mankind. I see all the ways in which as I view more and more through the law, the holiness of God, I see and am condemned all the more by how unholy I am, how much I don't measure up. And it is weighty. It is heavy. We also see as we begin to look inwardly, as we sit in who God is in the law, we see that it also reveals to us our continual, constant insubordination. That if he's the supreme authority, if he's the sovereign one, then that nature within me, that sin nature, that flesh within me says, no, I want to be. I want to be the supreme one. I want to be the sovereign one. This is from the very beginning. This is our residue of Adam, if you will, to push back on the supreme authority of God and to be insubordinate to his rule and reign in our lives. And the law reveals that. The law shows us how insubordinate we are. Third thing it shows us is how careless we can be. If he's the careful designer and the law shows us his careful design, then we see our, careful, our careless destruction. The ways in which we will just very naturally buck against the laws of God and destroy his design. I joke about this a lot, but there's always a point in a sermon where if I stopped, it'd just be a really bad sermon. And you just go, wow, okay, well, that stinks. Thankfully, I'm not stopping. But if we were to stop there, you go, well, then what do we do with this? Where's the hope? If all the law is going to do is expose my sin and ex uh, uh, magnify his holiness in all the ways I'm not him and condemn me, what do we do? You know, the apostle Paul in Romans 7, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read all of Romans 7, but I'll give you the highlights of it. He dives deep into this and he talks about the law and the struggle that we have with the law. And he says, he actually says in verse 12, hey, the law's good. The law is good. He actually says, I'll read, I'll read exactly what he says here. He says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then he comes off of that in verse 13. And for the rest of the chapter, he begins to uh, go into this little bit of a schizophrenic Paul where he's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the reality of the goodness and the holiness of, of the law, but the struggle that we have in what the law creates within us. Because he says, so then therefore is the law bad? No, the law's not bad, but what does the law do? The law gives birth to sin. In my flesh, my sinful nature, your flesh, your sinful nature, when the law is given, wants to grab hold on to, uh, hold on to it in such a way that we then exercise our rebellion. This is the principle at play that we see with kids all the time. Put a, put a jar of cookies on the counter, say, don't touch the cookies. Walk out of the room, what are they gonna do? Touch the cookies. Have you seen the YouTube videos? They are hilarious, where they've done studies with this, where they put a hidden camera and they put candy in front of the kids. And there's two kids and they say, you can't touch them for five minutes. And then they walk out of the room. And for some of those kids, almost all of them, it's a matter of five seconds <laughs> that they're just like, whatever. And they eat the candy. What is that proving? Is that proving that kids have no dis discipline? Partly, but it's also proving that's who we are. When the law is given, we want 
to push against it. This is what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, I didn't know what covetousness was until the law said, do not covet. And then what did I do? I wanted to covet. Is that because the law is bad? No, the law is good. My sin took hold of it in a way that brought condemnation. So the law gives birth to sin. So where's the hope? The hope is in not only that the law condemns and not only that the law is good, but there's an interplay between the law and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it goes like this. Because Jesus came to abolish the law, came not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. He says, I didn't come. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it on your behalf. And because Jesus hid God's law in his heart and did the will of God perfectly, Psalm 40, verse 8. And because Jesus perfectly obeyed the law of God, thus fulfilling its demands. So after this whole back and forth that Paul is having in Romans 7, where he says, you may be familiar with it, where he says, oh, so I see this law at work within me. He says, the law is good and I want to obey it, but I can't. And what I, what I don't want to do, I end up doing. And what I, what, I don't want to, what I do want to do, I don't do. And oh my goodness. And he, he cries out at the end of Romans 7 and he says, oh, I am such a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then we get to Romans 8. For there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus came as the one who achieved the standard of righteousness for us in the law. He didn't come to abolish it and say it doesn't apply anymore. He came to fulfill it and say, I'm going to actually do something here that frees you up to love it. To want it, to desire it, to delight in it. Because now you're, you're out from under the condemnation of it. Furthermore, because Jesus made atonement for our sins is our sinless high priest. Do you see what Jesus did? He's the only one who ever perfectly obeyed the law, who didn't deserve the condemnation of the law, and he said, swap it, put it on me. Give me the condemnation so all of these people who are made in my image, whom I love, can be free from the condemnation of it and actually begin to love it and love me. And because Jesus' obedience has made us righteous, has declared us righteous. We're not, we're not fully righteous in all of our ways yet. We will be when he comes again, but he has declared us to be righteous. It's called imputed righteousness. In other words, in God's sight, when he sees you now, if your faith is in Jesus, he sees the fulfillment of the law. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus. He sees the finished work. He sees the condemnation of sin being poured out on him in your place. He sees the Lamb of God, and he sees you as a child of God. Because Jesus has done everything that the law requires so that the condemnation is off of us and onto him. So that the goodness of the law may come to life in us again. So this is how it ends so that we, by faith in Jesus, have been set free to love him 
and delight in his law. Let's go back to that. Remember in 1 John 5 when John said that to love him is to obey him. And do you remember this phrase? Remember how he ended that verse? He said, and the laws of God, the commandments of God are not burdensome. Can I tell you how many times I've read that? And I'm like, man, John, I don't know who you're following, but they feel like burden to me. And the reason that's true and the reason I felt that so much in my life is because the root issue, when we feel the law of God is a burden upon us, the root issue is not the issue of burdensomeness or delight or anything like that. It's deeper than that. The root issue is is love. It's a love issue. Because what he's saying is this, the law of God, the commandment of God is not burdensome when you love God. Because loving God through Christ, through faith in Christ, what do we know to be true? It means that he's placed his spirit within us to where we actually begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And it's not ever going to be at a place where we do that perfectly. We will always be frustrated with Paul in Romans 7. We will always feel the tension of the already not yet. We will always feel the grind of seeking to delight in the law of God. But at least we know now that we've been set free from the condemnation and we've actually been given the spirit of God to love God and to delight in his law. And we can actually do it. So we don't dismiss the law of God. We don't try to fulfill the law of God because it's already been fulfilled for us. We delight in it. We love the law because we love God. So we find ourselves not loving the law. If we find ourselves not loving the commandments of God, the way of God, then we know we can immediately go, oh, I've got a love problem here. Oh God, would you warm my heart to you that I may love you more because I know in loving you more, I will love what you love and hate what you hate. And I will long to live my life in a way that glorifies you, not to win your approval, but because through Jesus, you have loved me more than I could ever imagine. You know, when we were in, the, uh, in November of 2005, when we, when we went to Ukraine to adopt our son, we spent a whole month there. And God did an incredible amount of work in Rachel and me during that time in terms of the ways he met with us, the way he spoke to us, the way that he led us to our son. One of the ways that I didn't expect him to work was that as we traveled around Kiev and surrounding cities, I began to love the law of the land of America, the traffic laws. I've ridden in taxi cabs in many places throughout the world. I've never feared for my life more than in a taxi cab in Ukraine. There are lanes on the road, there are traffic lights, but they are merely suggestions. Because when people drive over there, there is no law of the land that is enforced. If there's a sidewalk available for you to get around the car, then take it. If you wanna go as fast as you wanna go, then do it. Uh, there were many times where I was grabbing onto the seat in front of me with my head down just going, oh, Lord, please. Oh, please get us there safely. Now, one of the things that occurred to me while we were over there was this is how the world defines freedom. When we say, man, just let me be free. 
Just let me be free. What are we saying? We're saying in defiance to God, remember our sin nature? We're saying just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we're saying, let me do what I want to do. And we're bucking against law because we think law is constricting. But what in, in the design of God, if God is the benevolent, loving lawgiver, then we're missing the fact that his law is actually good for us. And so just like the taxi cab drivers in Ukraine, we're saying, man, let me just do whatever I want to do. That's freedom. And what God says is, no, that's slavery. The more you do what you want to do, the more you will find yourself grabbing onto the seat in front of you of your life saying, oh God, please, what am I doing? This is chaos. And I'm afraid. But the more we put ourselves under the loving God who gave us a law that is actually for our good, the more we actually begin to see that his law gives life. Now, it condemns if you don't know Jesus. So those who don't know Jesus, it's condemning. But if you know Jesus, you actually say, hey, it's not condemning me anymore. It's good. And his spirit within me gives me the ability to obey it. And I love it. Now, one last thought, real quick. What does it mean to delight in the law of God? So how do we move from, okay, it's felt, it's felt like burden. How do I get from burden to beauty? It's felt like duty. How do I get from duty to delight? It's felt like obligation. How do I get from obligation to joy? Well, the reality is, is this. We have, to be, we have to be real about this. Reality is this. There, it's not gonna be a reality for you or for me that every moment of every day as a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna feel that. You may, or not feel, you may or may not feel it. Delight is not always a feeling. Delight is a choice. Right? I learned this from Randy Pope and all of his teachings. Y'all remember Randy's teaching when he would talk about, now I delight in that piece of key lime pie and I want it. And there will be times maybe, now just for the sake of that part of the illustration, yeah man, eat you a piece of key lime pie. You're not gonna die. But for the most part, what does delight look like in that scenario? Delight is actually making the harder choice of resisting because you know that after the fact, when I've walked out of that restaurant and I'm not bloated, I can say, man, I really delight in the choice that I just made to not partake in something that I really wanted. Now, did you, what, what were your feelings in that, morning, in that moment? Man, your feelings were, I want that piece of pie. But what does true delight, what does full delight look like? It actually looks like holding off in a way to bring about greater delight. It's what I have called over the years the principle of the lagging heart. Oftentimes our hearts will lag behind what we know is good. And so what do we do? Do we wait on our hearts to be where they need to be before we obey? If we do that, then we're gonna be waiting a long time sometimes. No, we actually go ahead and obey knowing that our hearts will catch up. Sometimes our hearts are there, sometimes they're not. But we choose the greater delight. I wanna give you some uh, homework. Before we do a flyover of the 10 Commandments next week and talk about the two tables of the law, table one and table two that God gave Moses, this whole week has been designed to, what, where's our heart? Are we in a posture where we can receive the law in a way to where it doesn't feel burdensome? And so with that, I want you to read every day this week, 
Every day this week, it won't take, I mean, it'll take as long as you want it to take, but if you just do the bare minimum, it's gonna just take you a couple minutes. Every day this week, read Romans, or go ahead, read Romans. Uh, that's not what the, you can read Romans. That's not what I was gonna say. Read Exodus chapter 20, one through 17. Every day, just read Exodus 20, one through 17. And pray this as you read it. Say, God, would you warm my heart? Would you awaken my heart to love your law? Because I love you. Maybe you need to flip that. God, would you awaken my heart to love you so that I will love your law? So that you and I can say with the psalmist, to shout to the rafters with the psalmist, oh God, I delight in your law. On it, I meditate day and night. May he do that? Father, would you do that? Would you do a great work in giving us a deep and abiding love for you and together with that, a love for your law? Father, I'm mindful of the ones who are here this morning tuning in online who are really struggling to, to even decide if all this Jesus stuff is even true. And so we wanna end our time together the way that we began, praying and asking that you would awaken dead hearts, you would soften hard hearts, and that you would open ears and eyes to see and hear the beauty and the greatness of Jesus and his gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.